to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Who of you work? Who of you encounter situations in your work environment where you find it difficult to glorify God or difficult to worship God? Anyone not experienced that ever in their work? <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> okay, I'm a pastor, so. <laughs> um, I just want to read you a little story uh, in the Old Testament. It's from Second Kings 5. It's about a guy called Naaman and what the Lord did for him. But it's a story that, especially at the end, teaches us something very important about um, worshipping God in all situations, even in very difficult situations. So I'm just going to read the story and and sort of give a bit of commentary on the story as I read it. And then I want us to to just worship the Lord with our minds by thinking through a few of the things that we learn from this. Okay. I sound a bit loud. Is is it okay? Okay, good. Okay, so in, in 2 Kings 5 verse 1 it says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And then in verse, what happens is he he hears that there's a prophet in Israel. He goes to Israel with a letter from his king saying to the king of Israel, yes, 10 shekels of silver and clothes and whatever, you know, Heal me, you know. <laughs> and the king of Israel is, oh no, look, he's trying to pick a fight with me. Am I God that I can heal this guy? You know, and he's like really freaking out. And um, in verse 8, it says, but when he lies, you know, actually the king of Israel tears his robe, he tears his clothes, you know. He's like, this guy, this king of Syria, he's sending his favorite commander and he's asking me to do something impossible because he wants to pick a fight with me. He wants to make war. He wants to come and conquer Israel. So he's, he's really he's tearing his clothes and he's in mourning. And then in verse 8 it says, When Elijah, the man of God, heard <clears throat> that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him, that's Naaman, come to me that he might know that, he might know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came to his house. Sorry. So, so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, <clears throat> and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry, and he went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God. And wave his hand over the place and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And what we see here is that um, Naaman was unclean. 
unclean first externally. He had leprosy. So it's this contagious skin disease, and he couldn't have contact with other people, couldn't live with other people. Um, uh, eventually it became so bad that you couldn't touch other people at all. It wasn't just spots someplace on your body. It covered your whole body, and you would, con- you would become very contagious. Um, so, so he was unclean. According to the law of the Old Testament, he would have been unclean as well and wouldn't have been allowed uh, amongst the people if he were a Jew. And... Um, so he was unclean. He was sick physically. But, but he wasn't only f- externally unclean. He was also internally unclean. Do you see his pride in this part of the story? you see it? Firstly, he had personal pride. Now, Elisha, I mean, this is like an important guy. He's like the top general of Syria. And he comes to Elisha. Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him. He sends a messenger and said, go wash in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman, Naaman's ego is like slighted you know and he's like what this guy I, I thought he'd at least come out and meet me i thought he'd at least show me the honor and the respect of coming out to speak to me himself so can you see the, the personal pride there but it's not only personal pride it's it's national pride as well aren't the rivers you know of damascus far better than the rivers of israel you know i could have gone and washed in some one of them and get gotten clean i have to go and wash in this silly jordan river of the israelites so he's like a, this, got this national pride as well. So, so he's not only externally unclean because of his leprosy, but he's internally unclean because of his pride. Like a seriously unclean guy. And, um, you know, he, because of his pride, he almost, almost does, is, is unable to receive from the Lord. And, and uh, you know, I, I think that's something, you know, that all of us need to learn. You know, the, the first step to surrender, I mean, we've been singing a, a bit about surrender now. The first step to surrender is always humility. Pride cannot surrender. Pride refuses to surrender. Pride always resists. If we want to surrender, we've got to make sure that we're not like Naaman, that we don't have that pride, either personal pride or national pride. Otherwise, we'll never be able to surrender as the Lord wants us to. And he goes on in, in verse um, 13, and it says, But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went. They prevailed upon him, and he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know, now I know, that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from, my, from your servant. But he, that's Elisha, said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he, uh, and he urged him to take it, but Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, If not, if you don't receive the gift, then please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth, for from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any god 
but the Lord, to any God except Yahweh. And what's happening here is Naaman was unclean, externally and internally. And then God cleansed Naaman, both externally and internally. We see um, he, he dipped himself seven times in the waters of the Jordan River, and his, his skin became like that of a little child, and he was cleansed. In other words, God cleansed his leprosy, cleansed his external defilement and his external uncleanness. Now, it's not the water of the Jordan River that has some or other magical property. It was because he was doing, he was acting in obedience to what the Lord had instructed. That, that is where the power lies. But not only did the Lord cleanse him externally, but we can see that he actually converted and started believing in the God of Israel, started believing in Yahweh. We see that in a few places. Um, first, <clears throat> when he was so angry, remember what he said? I thought he'd at least come out, the man of God would at least come out and, 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 and pray for me in the name of the Lord, his God. You remember that? The Lord, his God. You know, I don't believe in him, he's not my God. But at least, uh, so, so you can see the distance, the spiritual distance between him and Yahweh. But then afterwards, he says, when he comes to, to, to Elisha, he says, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. And he says, I'm no longer going to sacrifice or bring any offerings to any other God except Yahweh. Can you see, he converted to the worship of Yahweh. And he wasn't only externally clean, cleansed, but he was internally cleansed as well. And, and God did an amazing thing for him. And then, here's the thing that I really want us to see. He does something very strange. He says, Elisha, if you're not going to take a present from my hand, then at least give me two mule loads of dirt. I mean, what's going on there? <laughs> Let me just read that, those last few verses from you, from verse 17 to 19. It says, Then Naaman said, If not, please let... They be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, so he says for, in other words, because. So the reason I'm looking for two mule loads of earth is because I'm not going to worship any other god. For, for from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any god but the Lord, Yahweh. In this manner, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, that's the king of Syria, goes into the house of Rimon, that's the god of Syria, to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, then I, uh, sorry, and, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon, when I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he, that's Elisha, said to him, go in peace. In other words, shop. It's okay. So what's, what's going on here? I mean, What's the connection between Naaman, whom God has now cleansed, he was unclean in, uh, in every way, and now God has cleansed him in every way, saying, I'm not going to worship any God except Yahweh, so give me two mule loads of earth. That's going to solve my problem. Do you see the connection? Let me explain maybe a bit, um, give you a bit of historic background. In those days, the common perception was, and that's why it says, now I know that there's no God in all the earth except in Israel. And the God of a people was connected 
to a certain geographic area. So the God of Israel, it was thought, you know, reigned in Israel. You know, but, you know, when you, went to, when, when you went to Babylonia, there was another God, the God of Babylon that reigned, or gods of Babylon that reigned. And when you went to Syria, there was Rimon, and he was like the main God. He was the, the Bikona, and he reigned in Syria. So, so the gods were, in, 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 in sort of the cultural perspective, they were limited to certain geographical areas, and people connected and associated the worship of certain gods with certain geographic areas. And the area of Yahweh's rule was Israel. So now look here. Look what, what Naaman says. He says, I was unclean externally and internally. God has made me clean externally and internally. But now I have to go back to an unclean society. I have to go back to an unclean world. I have to go back to an unclean culture. But now I am clean. I've been cleansed. I'm a worshiper of Yahweh now. What do I do? My job, part of my job description as the chief general in Syria is to accompany the king. And he was obviously an old king. You know. I have to accompany him into the temple of Ramon. He leans on my arm. And then he kneels down and he worships, and I have to kneel ne- down next to him in the temple of Rimon and worship. Now, here's the question Can you worship Yahweh in the temple of Rimon? Think about that. Can you worship Yahweh, the God of the Bible, in the temple of Rimon, the God of Assyria? I think our quick answer would be no, impossible. You can't. Many of us would be tempted to say that. Naaman would say, you're wrong. But what if you're in Naaman's situation and, you, and, and, and it's part of your job? You have to accompany the king. See, he says, I, I must go into the temple of Ramon. And the king, and, and accompany the king, he leans on my arm. And then I must bow down. What am I going to do? I'm no longer a worshiper of Ramon. I'm now converted. I'm a worshiper of Yahweh. What am I going to do? Do you have any such situations in your, in your life? Places where you are expected to worship something else or where places that are the domain of worship of another God. You know, the reality is that most of us in the marketplace, who, which God is worshipped in the marketplace? Mammon. Stuff, money, wealth. And everyone is maybe not explicitly, but at least implicitly expected to bow down in the temple of Mammon in the marketplace and worship there, metaphorically speaking. Now, what do you do in the temple of Mammon if you are a worshiper of Yahweh? How do you show... And the thing that got me thinking on this was <clears throat> two weeks ago I was preaching on Second Peter, no, 1 Peter 2, verse 12, and it says, live such good lives before the pagans that they might see, even, if the, even when they call you evildoers, that they might see your good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, what is Naaman going to do so that the people who see him worshiping in the temple of Rimon will glorify Yahweh on the day of visitation? What is he going to do? 
And his solution was, I'm going to communicate to my culture in a way that they understand that even if I'm worshipping in the temple of Rimon, I'm no longer worshipping Rimon. I'm now worshipping Yahweh. Because I'm going to take earth from what they see as Yahweh's domain. I'm going to take two donkey loads of dirt from Israel. The kingdom of Yahweh. I'm going to take it all the way. And when I go to the temple of Rimon and the king is leaning on my arm, I'm going to have a pocket full of earth from Israel. I'm going to make sure people know about this. And then when the king falls down to worship, I'm going to take this hand of dirt, handful of dirt out. I'm going to sprinkle it on the floor of the temple. And I'm going to kneel down, not on the, temp- the floor of the temple of Rimon, but on the dirt of the land of Israel to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. Can you see what he's doing? Can you see how he's communicating to his culture in the way that they can understand that he's worshiping someone else? Without even saying a word. Are there places in your life, in your workplace, that you have to do that? That you maybe need some dirt from Israel to sprinkle on the ground so that even if you don't say anything, the people around you, your colleagues, know that you are no longer worshipping Mammon. You are worshipping Yahweh. I um, once heard a story. I mean, how do, how do you do this? How, how do you worship Yahweh? How do you act in a way that glorifies Yahweh in the boardroom? That's not seen as Yahweh's domain, right? That's not seen as the domain of the God of the Bible. That's not seen as the domain of Jesus, right? How do you do it? You see, this... Here's the thing, this this story doesn't give us easy answers, right? It gives us an example, but the example is specific enough not to be overly helpful in every situation. I mean, you cannot just blindly apply to every situation. I mean, you cannot just go and get some dirt somewhere and just say, okay, this is the solution, you know, to my worship problems, (laughs) you know? You've got to think, okay, you know, what is my temple of Rimon? And what, what are my two donkey loads of dirt that'll tell my culture and the people from my culture that I'm no longer worshipping a different God? I'm worshipping Yahweh. You've got to go and think. I, I heard a story once about a, a, a gentleman. <clears throat> he was the chair of, a, of a, the board of some other big company. And he was a Christian. And, and he was thinking about this. And, and, and he was confronted with the same problem i mean you you you're expected not to you know deal with any religious matters in the boardroom you know it's it's considered unprofessional so i thought how on earth can he honor god in the boardroom and then he found a very simple solution he insisted he sat at obviously at the at the head of <coughs> the, the chairman sits at the head of the table he insisted <coughs> on moving from the head of the table to the chair just to its right-hand side, and he left the chair on the head of the table open. And when people asked him, why are you not sitting in the customary place, he said, that chair belongs to the Holy Spirit. That's all he said. That's all he said. That's all he had to say. 
it was people new. People new. Um, think about... I, I, was, I was in Franschhoek this week um, teaching a course uh, with Dr. Cornet Becker and uh, I visited some of my friends from Franschhoek, um, Derek and Rosita Manser, and uh, they own a... Um, an art shop in, probably in my opinion, the best one in Franschhoek, uh, Franschhoek Art House. It's right in the main road across from the big Dutch Reformed Church. <coughs> and obviously they want to sell paintings. And, um, you know, they're Christians. Rosita's a Christian. She's also an artist, so she paints and so on. But most of the foreigners who come there, mostly Europeans, um, they're not going to buy art with an explicitly Christian motive or theme. So most of this stuff doesn't have explicitly Christian motive or theme. But how can they testify? And she had to think, okay, how can I testify? How can I witness to the fact that I'm a worshiper of Yahweh in a way that people will understand? And, and, and she did two things. I mean, she's, she painted a, a painting called Behind the Veil, which is quite subtle. But, I mean, there's a veil that is torn. And then in the background, very subtly, you can see people with their hands raised worshiping. Beautiful painting, beautiful. And, and she printed a lot of, of um, what do you call these copies of, of a painting? Yeah, print, yeah. She, she, she made a lot of prints. So she sells the prints for, for a lot cheaper and she has the painting up there. And then people always come and there's some writing there and they always ask, you know, what's going on here? And then she answers them and she says, this painting's called Behind the Veil. And then she explains it. And there's also a Bible standing on the mantelpiece. And she says she's had so many conversations with people who walked in there. You know, people, some people are Christians, other people are not Christians at all, who are just curious and who ask. And then when they ask, then it's okay to, for her to share, and she shares what's going on. And she's even led many people to the Lord in that way, through her, arch, uh, you know, through her gallery. Think about <clears throat> Daniel and his friends. Youngsters, teenagers probably, taking into captivity from Israel to Babylon and made to eat the meat. Why did Daniel and them refuse to eat the meat? Why did he say to his caretakers, rather let us just eat vegetables? Because that meat had been sacrificed to idols. How was Daniel going to show that he was not worshipping those idols and not submitting to those idols? He said, I'd rather eat vegetables. And in fact, give us a couple of weeks. If, if we don't look better and perform better you know, on this vegetable diet than the other guys on the meat diet, then you can take us off it. So you have to trust God you know, in this manner. And God came through for him. And Daniel ended up serving under three, not only kings, but emperors. The three greatest empires of his time. Babylon, Persia, what was the other one? Assyria, I can't remember what the third one was. But three, three different kings. Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, and, uh, and, and the other guy. Um, so, here's my question. <clears throat> and I want you to first break up into groups and discuss, okay, what is your temple of Rimon? What is the place that is where it seems impossible for you to glorify God, that your work takes you into? What is your temple of Ramon? And then secondly, what are your two donkey loads of dirt that will communicate to your culture and to your colleagues that you're worshipping Yahweh?
Okay, so I want you to get it together in groups of two or three and I want you to discuss those two questions. Any of you have any cool insights about your work situation that, that you'd like to testify about? Yes. So I'm starting to work in the entertainment industry. Um, yeah, so that makes me super excited because a part of me is evangelist, so it makes me super excited that I can meet with people that don't know the Lord. And um, so in this week I had a meeting with someone just asking for advice and just connecting. And um, towards the end of the meeting, the person was just sharing about a challenging bit with their right... Re- I don't want to go into much details, but they're busy with work and it's writing and it's challenging. And at the end, to a, uh, while we're walking away, we're on the curb. Um, I just spontaneously, like I would with any of you or any of my friends, go, "Can I pray for you for the rewriting that last bit?" And you go, and I'm like, It'll, "But I don't know what this person believes, and but I know the industry where he's part of." And I just say, um, "Yeah, can I pray?" No, I'm stunning and I say, "Bucky," and he looks at me and I'm like, "Finish." Um, <laughs> He didn't look nervous. I just filled the air with my words. I'll be quick. And um, and we prayed. And I just yeah, I spoke blessing over him. And for the final part of the rewriting. And um, yeah, as we looked up, he, he literally stared in front of himself to me. And I could see like the Lord was touching him. And then um, later that day, or like late in the week, I get a message just thanking me again for the fact that I prayed for him. He he says that doesn't happen often. And yeah, I was just so excited for what God didn't they? I've, I've heard a few stories about, about teachers um, who are not allowed by the policy of the school to share anything about Jesus, but then what they do is they pray in their classrooms. And then the kids out of them, you know, by themselves start asking them the right questions. And then they have to answer, you know. <laughs> Um, so I don't ne- necessarily have an insight about my workplace, but I've recently started to work at Deloitte, um, which is probably one of the most corporate corporate environments. Um, and since I started, I sort of wanted to intentionally break the spiritual and secular divide that exists in our lives. And a practical way in which I do that is to have just one journal for my sermons and my meeting notes. Um, <laughs> so... I, I think sometime in the future, um, some of my Muslim teammates is going to ask me, like, what's that thing you wrote there on the, on the page opposite your meeting notes? Um, and then I'll obviously answer by saying it's my sermon notes. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, in closing, I just want to ask you, you know, if, if Naaman could find a way to worship and glorify Yahweh, the God of Israel, in the temple of a foreign God, is there then really any place where we cannot worship God? Is there then any space in which we can then not glorify God? In which we cannot, we can, where, we will be, where it will be impossible for us to find some way to glorify God and to point people to to God and to Jesus. I think that's quite encouraging, don't you? Yes, Father God, we just want to come and honor you, Lord. Our desire, Lord, is to, to glorify you, Lord, not only on Sundays and on Wednesday evenings, Lord, but in all of our life, Lord. 
Lord, we pray, Lord, that you'll give us the wisdom and the courage, Lord, to turn our, Lord, the places where we live and even the, to, to whatever extent we are able to, the places where we work, into spaces where you are glorified, places where you are lifted high and where, where the spotlight is put onto you. And we, we just pray, Lord, that you'll give us both uh, the wisdom and the courage to do that in Jesus' name. Just in closing, I'm not going to say much about this, but I just want you to notice something in Second Kings 5 verse 1 <clears throat> that you might not have noticed the first time I read it. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Before he even knew who Yahweh was, Yahweh was already using him to give victory to Syria. You see, there's, there's no place where God is not at work. God is not distant and disinterested. He's not just watching us from a distance. God is everywhere. And He's working a lot more than we often realize. And it's only up to us to discover what the Lord is doing in areas where we never thought He would be working, right? 